words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. So today I'm talking about, you know, I always joke that PIM Pastor Mo, you know, they preach. Me, I don't know how to preach, I just talk. So I talk the things that weigh my heart. And that's how I'm able to express the life that God puts in me. And for a while, I've been, my head has been going around the word consistency. You know, I know that in Second Peter, it talks about, God talks about being partakers of the divine nature. And I feel very strongly that what God is trying to do is bring us into that place where we are partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature speaks of his character and his nature and his expectation. You know, he says he made us in his image, not his physical mien. God is a spirit and we are made in that mold and we are meant to show forth the same nature. And so there are things, I'm building blocks, he has just been placed in my heart that follow after this. And that, you know, life seems tough but it is not difficult in God. It might seem to be tough, but it is not tough. When Jesus says that my yoke is easy, is, is, um, easy and my burden is light, but it, it implies work, then you understand that there are different types of work, but there's a work that is easy because you are in him. So I'm talking about consistency and constancy. The two things that have just been plaguing my mind. And I just use a scripture to paint a backdrop. And that's in 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 verses 2 to 5. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine it says but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn out turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables it says but you be watchful in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry and so that first verse talks about being in and out of season, being ready. That means out of season, you're the same. In season, you're the same. That takes a lot of discipline because seasons shift and change very drastically sometimes. That, look, let's even use the natural weather. Hamatan, rainy, dry season, they're very different. And you have to adjust. In rainy season, you must have umbrellas. You curtail your going out. In the dry season, your dressing has to change. The hamatan can, in some parts can be very cold. So you need to change your, 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 your clothing at that time. So at every point, you change. Things change. Things shift. But you're meant to stay the same. You're meant to function the same way. And in life, a lot of things happen. In deep, troubled times... You are meant to still maintain. How possible is that? I want you to keep that at the back of your mind. Let me read the Amplified Version of verse 2. 
He says, herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. Whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Whether it is welcome or unwelcome. He says, you as preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. And convince them, rebuking and correcting warning and urging and encouraging them, begging and being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. If you have amplified, please put it up because it's a whole mouthful. But I like amplified, it amplifies. Mm. I mean, that one just said, be in and out of season. This one has given you some stretching. It tells you the kind of season. It says they'll be convenient and inconvenient. They'll be welcome and unwelcome. There'll be this and that. And then you, you can see a picture. You know, like I said, God, seems to, God wants his people to come into the place of the divine nature. And one of the things about God is he is consistent. He does not change. He's the same in any situation. His word does not change one ounce. What it was yesterday is what it is today and it will be there tomorrow and forever. So I'll use an analogy in today's world where there's LGBTQ plus queer plus other, you know, that's the order of today. 20 years ago, if you said you were gay, People look at you as if you're crazy. Today, if you say being gay is bad, it's you that they look at as if you're not normal. With God, it doesn't change. What he says stands for eternity. It doesn't matter what others say or what others think or what people put in place. What he says is what it is and it will not change. Three quick scriptures I just want to use to back that up. Malachi 3.6. Malachi 3.6. It says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, those sons of Jacob. And the context of this is he's talking about how Israel has gone far astray. He talks about refining. And he speaks of John the Baptist coming as the one before coming for before the Lord and he will refine the one who will come will purify and refine then he comes to say this that I am the Lord I don't change that you are not consumed because that is my nature because of my mercy you are not consumed Hebrews 13 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. James 1.17 It says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I like the King James. It says there's no variableness. That means there's no Kona, kona. what you see is what you get he does not shift he does not change that is his nature 
And that is what consistency is about. You know, so, you know, if you, you know, you know I did something funny. I said, this consistency, I, I, I put, I did a word search in the Bible. There's no way that consistency occurs in the Bible. No way. So I'm thinking, so how is it consistency now? So I said, okay, let me bring dictionary definition so we're all on the same page. Because you know, we're Bible students, you might go to the Bible, you won't see consistent there. So let's understand what it is. Consistency, the word consistency comes from consistent, right? To be consistent means you act, when you're acting or you're doing something in the same way over time, especially so that it is fair or accurate. So consistency then is the quality of achieving a level of performance which does not vary greatly in quality or time. So that means what you do, margin of error is plus or minus one. It is too close. What you get doesn't shake. It's not like uh, the exchange of a currency. No. The variableness, there's variableness and plenty shadow. <laughs> For now. The time is coming. You know, when I got to appreciate why, why it's so important to have a very consistent currency, I think it was the first time I went to Dubai was 2005. One dirham, I mean, one dollar exchanges for about 3.6 dirham. From that time to now, plus or minus one. What that does is it helps you plan. You can plan. You know that give or take 0.5, that might be the variation. But if you plan today for 20 years, you know that it's not going to change. It's not like where you see overnight, you lose 35 on one side, 50 on this side, and you just can't plan. And that, that began to give me a picture of what consistency is about. And whether you believe it or not, you're going to see it happen in Nigeria. I won't say $1 to $1 like they said, though. That's not... You know they said it. We're still waiting for it. But we will find a time where things will be consistent enough to be able to, to, to plan ahead. The word constancy kept coming in my mind. And I was wondering, consistency, I understand. What's constancy? And constancy, it means the quality of being enduring and unchanging. The quality of being enduring and unchanging. And I highlighted the word unchanging. You know that song, unchangeable God, dependable, reliable God. So the, the nature of God is consistency and constancy. He does not change over time. He endures. That's the second thing that one of the words that God has been giving me is longevity. And so I ask myself, what does it mean to be consistent in the faith? I think recently it was uh, Bishop Oyedebo who celebrated 40 years of ministry. And I was thinking, 40 years? That's older than many people. What keeps you for that long? What keeps you for that long? That, you know, there are some people who have made prophecies, done things, and then they have just faded with time. There are some people who have just remained you know, when Ghani Fahami was alive, the testimony of IBB of him was, you know where he stands. You know that anything happens, he's going to court. You know what he will do even before he does anything. 
because you know him he's consistent how much more us too many of us in the faith vacillate so nobody even knows what you're about nobody knows how you're going to react nobody knows what will happen if something comes up but when they can say we know God said of Abraham I know that he will bring up his children his descendants in the way is that confident God was able to boast about Job to Satan have you seen anyone like my servant Job upright forthright like no one like him can God trust us for me that's the beginning of walking in the faith everything else is just razzmatazz can God boast about you So what I've found is from scripture I've seen that consistency is a yardstick God uses to measure us. And I'll just use a few characters to quickly illustrate that. But first let's look at Psalm 15. You know, many people when they say who's going to get to heaven, we don't know. What always gets me is when someone passes, we say it's gone to glory. How do we know? We don't know. No, honestly. You know, when you are the one who is believed, you believe with all your heart that the person has gone. In fact, it can't be any other way. But truly, do we know? Do we know? We don't know. Only God knows who will enter. Years ago, George Adikboye, he said something that for more than 20 years has stuck in my head. He says, when we get to heaven, we will be shocked at three things. He says, one, is that brother that was a drug addict and many things that you never thought would amount to anything that entered? You wonder how he entered. Case in point, the thief on the cross beside Jesus. If they told anybody, that guy will go to heaven and say, come off it, what, what, what kind of joke is that? But he got to heaven. Number two, brother John, firebrand prayer warrior, always praying, quotes 10 scriptures, prays 10 hours. He didn't get there. Number three, how you yourself got there. Because if you are true to yourself, you know many times you think, I can't make it. Only God knows. But a yardstick, one of the yardsticks I've found that he uses to measure us is consistency. It's not perfection at all times that you get a perfect 10 and like gymnasts. It's that you're consistent. Psalm 15. I'll just read the first five verses quickly. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? It says, it is he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. It is he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. It says, he who does these things shall never be moved. I want you to take time and spend time with this scripture and measure yourself against it. 
you'll find a lot of things you need to do. But I want to zero in on verse 4, the second part. It says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's the part in this scripture that speaks to me more about consistency. You know, swearing to your own hurt is, you say, I'm going to do this. Circumstances change. And it will, you'll be excused if you change. But you say, I will not change, even though it's going to hurt me. Let me illustrate it. I say to Pastor Heidi, I'm going to give you, um, she wants to change some money. And I say, um, we, we, we agree on um, um, exchange rate of, say, 350, 305. We say 305. Then one minute later, I hear it's five something. Ah, the idea thing is to go back and say, sister, I can't do it at this price. So that it's not five something. Either we move up small or ah, I can't do it. And I'll be within bounds. I mean, this is just five minutes later. And she will understand. Because really and truly, I mean, let's be fair. You, if you, you can tell me all you like that. Hey, we agreed on this. And I can say, okay, I'm not doing it again. Beat me. We can, right? But I stay on that 305 because I made a commitment. Years ago, I, I came across a scripture in Ecclesiastes. You know, when it comes to making pledges, I have a very, I have a strong sensitivity to that thing. I never, you cannot, if you like, do gymnastics. If I don't want to give, I will not. Because I've learned, there's a scripture that says, when you make a vow unto God and you don't keep it, he looks at you like a fool. That thing hit me like a hammer. So whenever I make a commitment and I teach my daughter, I say the promise is a vow. When you say I will do this, you must keep that vow. And this scripture says that you swear to your own heart and you don't change. Even when it's going to affect you, you stay on that. That is consistency. And too many of us are not consistent. Like I said, that transaction with ID, if I change it, people will understand. But you work with a different set of standards according to the mandate of God. So that brings me to something. Consistency comes with a price. I think of Bishop Oyedebo 40 years. Pastor Adeboye, I don't know how many years, so almost in the same number of years. What does it take to stay the same through? In your little life, you enter a job and then you enter on fire for God. I stand for what is God. After a while, the building is leaning because, you know, situation. <laughs> In Nigeria, you can't do things without bribing. You can't do this. Some people do it. And they don't have 10 heads. It comes down to what are your values, what do you believe in, and what are you ready to stand up for. So it comes at a cost. The question is, are you ready to pay that price? If it's a yardstick that God uses, that means where you fall short, can't help you. Job is one example I want to use. I'll quickly just run, run through a couple. In Job 1, 
I'll look at verse 9 to 11 and 20 to 22. We know the story. Satan came. God was boasting that Job is one. Have you seen anyone like him? Righteous, upstanding. And Satan says in verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? He says, Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. He says, But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And God said, Go ahead, but don't touch his body and leave his soul. And Satan went ahead. And you know, when people read Job, it seems like a fairy tale. But you, if you understand it, everything happened in one day. It's not like it's, you know, those days you took time with camels. Because he says, as one was leaving, another was coming. And that happened over and over. He lost his sheep, he lost his cattle, he lost his children. It was happening back to back. So imagine yourself with the little you think you have. You just get up from here and you go and everything is gone. They say your house has caught fire, burnt, your car, you get out, it's been stolen. You, everything just shut down. I, I like to picture these things because we read them like stories of the past. The Bible is meant as an example for you to locate yourself in current day life. If that happened to you, I cannot guarantee I would behave like Job, honestly. And I'm, and I'm honest to myself. You have back-to-back -back tragedies. But in verse 20, he says, Job arose. After all this has happened, he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And says, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. This is one of the most challenging scriptures that I've ever come across that no matter how many times I read it, I can't, I can't, I can't get it. That for me is the height of consistency. When you read, it says about his children, they were always throwing parties to show you how pious Job was. It says, Whenever they would go, he would perform sacrifices in case they sinned. He didn't leave anything to chance. So, in all honesty, nothing should have happened to Job because everything he needed to do, he was doing. He was very generous. And Job, by the way, was more reputed to be wealthier than Solomon. There's nobody who was wealthier than him. But God was a main part of his life. Everything he did was about God. But yet, he lost everything. And his reaction is, I came naked, I go naked. How far? That is challenging. But that's why God could measure him that way. Because he could trust. God doesn't waste his confidence and trust in just anybody. He boasted to Satan that have you seen anyone? Have you considered Job? You've been walking up and down. Have you checked him out? Meaning that one, you can't, that one trumps you. And Satan confessed that yeah, you built a hedge. But God doesn't, you see, there are certain things you can pick from that scripture. When you walk right, he builds a hedge. When you don't walk around, there's no hedge. 
So don't think because I'm a Christian and I attend Ecclesia so that you can just go out and think everything is okay. It is the corresponding action that comes from your commitment. When a man is consistent, God values it. And he will move anything to hold that man up. When I read Isaiah 43, one of the greatest promises that I hold on to is Isaiah 43. He says, you will walk through the waters. They will not drown you. You will walk through the fire. It won't burn you. Not even the smell of smoke will be on you. And he says, because you are precious in my sight, I will give men and nations as a ransom for you. That is weighty. That means if I go somewhere and I get into trouble, God is ready to give this nation on my behalf. He will sacrifice 200 million people for me. That is weighty. That is not a joke. And God doesn't use words lightly at all. When he says something, he means it. When he finds a man, the Bible says that his eyes are going to and fro over the earth looking for those whose hearts are perfect towards him that he might show himself strong on their behalf those are not weak those those are not light words so when god finds one who is consistent he will back him up on every side he will literally turn things upside down just to to back him so abraham lied he told a lie he lied white lie blue lie he lied he said, Sarah is my, my sister. It was a half-truth because she was his sister, his half-sister. She was. But in the context of what they were saying, it's your wife. And you say, it's not my wife. That's a lie. Abraham, Father Abraham, he lied. And so Abimelech was right in taking her because he said, it's not his wife. Okay, I collect her. And God told him, you're a dead man if he doesn't pray for you. He said, but I eat it. He said, yes. God will back you up when he knows your heart. Nobody is perfect. Nobody. But when God knows your heart, and when you look at David, it was one of the most challenging things for me when I came in across in the book of Acts where it says, David is a man after my heart. He will do all my will. And I'm thinking... Bathsheba, Uriah, was that your will? But you see that that is God's heart towards David. Because when David committed murder, adultery, both stonable offenses, the, 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 the wages of those ones were death in that time. But God said, God's problem was, you've caused my name to be carried. If you wanted this thing, you would have told me. I say jokingly, if God, if David told God, Bathsheba is fine, no, I'd like to marry her, God might have killed Uriah by himself and given him. It's not blasphemy. Let me prove it before they say I quoted something. Remember Abigail? Abigail, who was her husband? You don't remember his name, you just know he's a fool. <laughs> Neighbor, thank you. Good students. He says, David came and the man was just abusing him. David wanted to kill him. His wife, Abigail, said, don't soil your hands on a foolish man. Her own husband, though. A foolish man like this. And David said, you are a wise woman. He said, leave him. That night, the man died. 
The next day, she packed a load and went to David. Tell me there was no connection. So that's on these few points, I rest my case. <laughs> like David, <laughs> I must say you can't cover someone's wife. <laughs> I'm just saying that when God, when someone touches the heart of God, God is open to that person. And when you look at everything David did, when the ark was being brought back, he tried to bring it back on a cart. Uzzah was killed and he was annoyed. He says he left it in the house of Obedidom. But he saw that he was being blessed and he went to study to see the order of the ark. And he realized that you need to make sacrifices. It must be carried on the shoulders of the, um, the priests. That you, the problem was that you put it on a cart. It must be carried on the shoulders of the priests. And they must cleanse the way before they go. So he did all that. Every 10 steps, they would sacrifice one. He knew everything about how the ark should be done. But where did he take the ark? He knows that the ark must be in the Holy of Holies. The temple was a three-part temple. The outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And the, temp the ark must be put in the Holy of Holies, covered from everybody else. But what did he do? He put it in an open tent. He put it in an open tent. The ark was not meant to be seen. And he instituted 24-7 worship. And nobody died. What does that tell you? He hit something that was in the heart of God. If not, everybody would have died. And in Amos, when God says, I will rebuild my tabernacle. Which one? The tabernacle of David. When you understand, God is partial. He's partial. In all the mess of David, God still would honor him. Because he sees his heart. David, after messing around with Bathsheba, they had a child. The child was sick. He went before God and was begging him. By the way, that's where he wrote Psalm 51. He was crying, creating me a clean heart, a, new, a right spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit away from me, blah, blah, blah. That's where he wrote that Psalm. When the child died, Joe got up and went and shouted, give me food, I beg. You don't be eating. And they are thinking, what kind of guy are you? He knew God. Remember, Solomon was a product of him and Bathsheba. The same Bathsheba. It is God who named Solomon. God named Solomon and said he will be king. So when you look at things, should Bathsheba, in fact, should they have even been married still? God would, but God honored something there. When you understand God, you don't struggle to many things. That's a digression. So David, I wasn't planning to use David, but David is another one who was consistent in his crazy maverick way. He was consistent because his heart was right towards God. I will pack it on Daniel, like three others, but no time. Let me pack it on Daniel. You know, Daniel is my current crush because I work in the corporate world and I look at Daniel and there's so many things I pick from Daniel. Now, Daniel, to put it in context, when he was taken into captivity, was about 17. He was about 17. He was a teenager. He was not old. He was a young guy. And as was the tradition with Babylon and the way they, were, they had a very strong system, a very strong culture. They would take you, take your gods, 
take your gods to their place. So they've captured your God. So they've captured you and your God. So you know that your God can help you. And then they, re, they re-engineer your, indoctrinate you. So you come, you, that's make you know that your own culture is wasted. They carry you away, leave someone to look over your people. They indoctrinate you here, indoctrinate you there. They just totally mess you up. That was how Babylon, there was a system that just really took you over. And so they were to take amongst the intelligent ones from the royals, royal lineage and indoctrinate them in their way. And so what the king said is take them for three years or two years and give them food from the table of the king, which of course will be given to idols. But you know, king's portion, ah, you know, when you, if you go for lunch here in this hotel, you understand what I'm saying. That's king's portion, not uh, Yarisi. You know, so there are two different things. When you go to Yarisi, you know, you just take Ghana rice and this thing. But this one, you take Medemede, different things. So the king said, bring these people and teach them in our ways, in our language, our culture, and all that for the space of two years. And at the end, test them. And Daniel at 17, in Daniel 1.8, is one scripture that is locked in my spirit. He says, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, the order of the king, if you contravene it, you die. The king was that powerful. You, you can't come into his presence if he doesn't call you. If you do, he just do this. They carry you away, cover your head, and you're gone. He didn't need to say a word. That's how powerful the kings were. So when he gives an instruction, if you go against it, you die. So what Daniel was opposing, or what he was, was a death sentence. He was just saying, kill me. At 17, that's what really gets me. He was not a priest. He was not a Levite. He was not brought up in anything. He was of the royal seat. But yet, this was his stance. That means he had a relationship with God. And he was ready to risk everything. That's why I said, consistency comes at a cost. And he said to the chief of eunuchs, do this. The guy one said, you want, God, you want the king to kill us? He said, just do this. Test me. Take, give us water and bread for 10 days. And then come and check us and look at us compared with the others. I mean, that was a bold assertion. Bread and water. You will lose weight. You will just look lean. <laughs> you will be lean. If you fast, or you take bread and water. That's just basic. You just vegetables. Well, you just you lose all the fat. But it says ten days later, when they came, they were looking better than the others, and so they they just allowed them, and they kept going. What he was focused on was if I take the food from the king's table, it is given to idols. I've defiled myself. I mean, same thing with Joseph, Potiphar's wife. If Joseph slept with Potiphar's wife, nothing will happen. Because if we just tell Potiphar, choose your wife or your money. And I think Potiphar will choose his money. I think. But he said very, something very instructive. I will not sin against God. Not Potiphar. Against God. This was a hit who was 17. These are boys who valued their relationship with God more than anything else. And were ready. It cost him jail time. Virtue of his action, it cost him. 
And so Daniel, the real thing I want to zero in on is Daniel 6. They had looked, he says they looked for what to trap Daniel and they could find nothing. They could find absolutely nothing except his faith. And so they went to the king and said, Oh king, we are the great, you know, they were like area boys, Father, you are the greatest after you, now God, nobody. And they said, For the next 30 days, no man should make any petition to any man or God except you. And the king goes, like, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. And he said, Yeah, just sign the edict. And he signed it. And then they just went. He says, verse 10. <laughs> Daniel, to understand his mind, he says, now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he says he went home. So he knew this bill has been passed. It's not that they are still talking about it. It has been passed. And whoever does contravenes it will be put in the lion's den. He says, when he knew it was signed, he went home. He said, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. And he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He knew a threat of death, that what he was doing was going to cost him his life. But he did it. And those characters... They were there every time. There was no video those days, but if they had video, they would have been videoing him. See evidence. They waited for him to do the three days. They knew his, his um, schedule, clockwork. So they didn't go and report the first time. They waited for the three, so that if mistake one, he forgot, he didn't forget three times. And then they now went to the king, and the king knew he had been trapped. What... <laughs> God is awesome. He stands for his people because when in verse 16, when the king, he says the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. That's a heathen king. A heathen king. But he knows Daniel and how he serves his God. And he knows that his God will come through for him. <laughs> It comes at a price. But God, remember what I said, God will stand up for you. He will give men and a nation for you. And so, in the morning, the king came and said, Daniel, has your God delivered you? He said, yes. He said, gather all those people. That's the nation. And throw them in. And he says, the lions, out of the vex, he says, the angel held them back from eating Daniel. He says, before they got down, you know, those dens were not just open. You have to go down into it. He says, before they got there, their bones were broken in pieces. <laughs> the Bible is very clear. The lions took the anger of depriving them of Daniel. They just took it out on those guys. They didn't even get down. They were gone. Them, their children, their families. God always comes through. God always comes through. I want to emphasize consistency comes at a price it comes at a price but the gains are beyond measure after all this grammar this is bible what about us 
hope you've been casting your mind on your daily life what does it mean for you to be consistent how will you be consistent it seems impossible eking a living in our country today is is tough let nobody deceive you it is tough just existing is tough if you have ever been faced with hunger no food to eat for two days and they bring food near you you will steal it i'm trying to be practical if they brought food near you and you have to be consistent you will not touch it it's very difficult you see bible says that the words you hear will judge you as you're hearing what i'm saying you're going to begin to see in the next few days tests will come your way that will call upon you to be consistent and as you do the holy spirit will remind you you heard what's your action going to be You know, I've learned that when you lock down the principles you want to live by, the values, it doesn't matter what happens. You walk like Daniel. He says he purposed in his heart. It was a deliberate action. A decision based and grounded. So it is that he didn't wait for something to happen. And that's one thing I've taken away and I try to apply. Before something comes, I've determined how I am going to act. So that when the time comes, I'm not thinking. A question, when I, when I had to spend, when I, when I moved to Abuja, a question I kept asking myself is, how would I act if I was caught by jihadists and asked to give up my belief in Jesus? It's a question I've been asking because I don't want to get there. You know, we watch films or things where they ask a pastor, and say denounce Christ and he does it sharp sharp and you denounce him you don't know what you'll do life is too sweet that if you are told you will meet your maker today if you don't do this you can't guarantee how you're going to act you can't and don't don't fool yourself that you are righteous and all that you're not more righteous than the next person but you must be ready before the thing happens and that's what Daniel did before he had purpose in his heart, he would not defile himself, even if it meant him dying. Is that serious? So before you get into, you know, we, we have this, our margin of error is very wide. You know, anything you, you can rationalize is okay. You have, you, have you ever been in a situation where you said, ah, this thing is not good, I can never do it. And then you're in the thing and then you just rationalize, you know, this and that, you know. You don't know you're eroding your value in God. In his eyes, you're losing it. Your values should never be based on what society follows. It must be rooted in the, in the standards of God. Because the minute you go that way, you'll be like shifting sand. you just be shifting. The goalpost keeps shifting.
Let me give you a, 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 a more recent story. Because when you look at this Bible, sometimes you can't really put it in context in our everyday life. How many of us know Smith Wigglesworth? Great man of God. He was, was deep in God. Let me read something about him, his life, that really struck me and added to my deciding to talk about this. He says, Smith Wigglesworth suffered terribly for three years with kidney stones. He says, those who had roomed with him on the road as he ministered, they testified to his rolling around on the floor in complete agony all night as a result of passing the horrible stones. If you've ever had kidney stones, you will understand. It is one of... I've never been in labor, but I don't know which one is worse. You, have you had kidney stone? Yeah. So how can you say it's labor? You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Except you have been in labor and had kidney stones. Don't talk. <laughs> but it, it's, it's very it's excruciating. Because in passing out those stones, you're going to pass those stones out. It's, imagine that it's going through your, your, your urethra and it's just jagged. It's painful. It's painful. First the pain in there, then the pain coming out. Sometimes it blocks. I've had it, so I understand. He says, his clothes would be soaked in blood. But he would wash up and get dressed and go to service to minister like nothing happened. So except you lived with him, you wouldn't know. Nobody had any idea the terrible pain he was going through except those closest to him. He could have had surgery for them, but he had heard from the Lord that he was not to have a knife touch his body. God had said to him, no surgery. So in spite of what was going on, he had to bear it. Three years. Three years. You would see him come out stately. You don't know what he's gone through all night. Rolling on the floor. That thing is painful. It's painful. It says, ultimately, after several years and much suffering, he emerged from his trial without surgery. He kept those sharp razor-like kidney stones in a jar. Later on, he also dealt with sciatica, which caused extreme pain in the hip and the back. And I just wanted to picture this. The ideal thing is, have surgery. And he's gone. But he heard a word, don't have, don't let a razor touch you. And he stood by it. It cost him. The pain, the pain, the pain. I had surgery because the stone was blocking my urethra. So it was a matter of time. Either I'll be bloated or something will happen. I had the surgery. So I was thinking about it when I was reading this thing that if God had said to me, don't have surgery, would I have done it? I don't know. Honestly, it could kill you. Try to understand this thing. John G. Lake, 
was a powerful healing minister. But he died of a blood disease. It was so powerful that they put, I don't know whether it was the bubonic plague or something, in his hand. He died in his hands. The action in him, but he died of a blood disease. Elisha, his dead bones raised someone from the dead. He died of sickness. That's some things are like paradoxes. But God calls you to walk in that and be consistent. Because in that place, his power is made available. Paul said, once I had a thorn in my flesh. You know, so people, you know there's, a, there's an English saying, the thorn in your flesh means someone who troubles you. So people say it was something just troubling circumstance. It's not. He says a messenger of Satan to buffet. Buffeting is not a, it's not a fancy word. It's, it's beating. That thing was tormenting. It was a demonic thing. And he says it was so bad he had to reach out to God three times. God didn't answer him first time. He didn't answer him second time. Third time he said my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't address the issue. But that thing brought liberation to him because he understood that he said, I will glory in my infirmity because I understand that it is not about the situation. It's about his grace. Because his grace overrides the situation. And I say this because we have become a generation that shies away from affliction and tries to skirt it Meanwhile, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them from them all. Afflictions, Jesus said, trials and tribulations will come, but be of good cheer, I have overcome. He didn't say you will bypass the waters or the fire, you will go through. It is in the going through that he shows himself strong. The four Hebrew boys and the father three, probably three, the three, because uh -huh. there were four inside. I just remembered four in the fire. Then I'm thinking, are they three or four? <laughs> they had to go into the fire for God to be glorified. Whatever your circumstances are now, they are puny. And I use that word deliberately. Small is not good enough. Little is not. Puny means, you know, it's, it's Hulk. I remember, you puny humans. Little, little tiny, little ants. Your, your issues are so, in the scheme of things, are so irrelevant. But they, you carry them like they're mountains. We need to get back to that place where consistency costs. It costs, trust me. It's not something you just wake up and do. I say, I'll be consistent. It's not possible. You will, the minute you say, I'll be consistent, you'll be hit by things. That's why I say clearly, prepare yourself. You heard this word, you will be faced with things in the coming days. Trust me. You need to prepare yourself. You need to prepare yourself. Quickly, when Pastor Mo was talking about someone, I started laughing because I asked myself, how are the things that, how, how do I stay consistent? How do I get consistent and stay that way? Because again, I repeat, the next thing is, you know, when we talked about constants, it says durability, endurance, 
and unchangeability. How do you stay consistent? Because it's not just to be consistent. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime. How do, I, how do I come into longevity in being consistent? Three things quickly. Psalm 1, which is where uh, Pastor Mo was quoting and I just smiled when he said it. You know, you have to build the right foundation. You need to be rooted in Christ, the Word. And Psalm 1, 3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What allows that tree to do that is the roots it has by the water. You know, the Bible talks about at the scent of water, it's a plant that was dying springs to life. Just the scent. How much more being embedded in it? So you must be rooted and founded in the word. Because when the, the, the situations go awry, it is that rooting you have. You know, the palm tree in Psalm 92 or 82 says that you'll be fat and flourishing. You will even in old age, you will continue to flourish. The palm tree has one of the deepest roots available outside of maybe the bamboo tree. The palm tree takes years to grow. But when it does, that's why you go to beaches. The palm trees are always bent. Inclement weather can't take them down because their boots go right down. And they go that way. They latch onto each other. So even the greatest, unless it's a tsunami that it takes the whole floor up, they will stay rooted. Your rooting is very important. Your foundation must be in the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing it and hearing the word. You must be deep in the word to stay consistent. Because there will always be, the Bible is there as an example for the different things and stages in your life. There's always some scripture that will speak to your situation. Second thing is that we must walk in the fear of God. I look at life today and I, I, I look at the things people do and I, I, I wonder how are we able to do these things. Even you, if you're in an environment long enough, you begin to lose, you just begin to lean in that direction without thinking. You have to consciously keep yourself focused. The, the key ingredient as far as I'm concerned is the fear of the Lord. Because if you fear God, there are some things you won't do, even if they told you. Because fear of the Lord means you know, even when people are not watching. If I told you, if you just could get away with this, that, that, without, nobody would know. Many of us would do it. We seem to be lawless here. So the traffic light, everybody breaks it. Trust me, even in US and UK, if they told them they won't catch, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the enforcement that makes everybody line up. In UK, you know, you have um, speed, not just speed cameras, you have those ones that can measure. So the distance of this road is one kilometer. So there's one here and one there. So they know that it's going to take you this amount of time to go from here to here. So if you do it in less time, you will get a ticket. There's no need. So people know that one. So they will just beat, then they just slow down, be driving so slowly. Because they time it. 
So if you leave them without traffic, they will just do it. Forget it. They are like us. Forget it. What keeps a human being in check is enforcement. But the fear of the Lord keeps you in check, whether or not. So there's a lack of the fear of the Lord. That's why people are doing all kinds of crazy things. The things you are hearing, you even wonder, how? But trust me, you get in there. If you don't have the fear of the Lord. So when we keep going on about we want a Christian president, I don't want a Christian president. I want a person who fears the Lord, even if he's Buddhist. Put him there. Because if he has the fear of the Lord in him, he will not do certain things. Job 28, 28 says, But to man, he, God said, Behold, the reverential and worshipful fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. This is the Amplified. Proverbs is replete with where the, begin, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is, the begin, is to eschew evil, is this and that. The root of it is the fear of the Lord. You cannot function and do things right if there's no fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Last thing I want to say is that you need to access grace to stand in a time of trial. There will always be trial. Your consistency will be tried. I believe firmly in one thing. If you profess faith in something, that faith must be tried. How else will you know that you really have it. So if you say, I believe this, it will be tried. You won't have been tried before you said it, but the minute you say it, you must be tried. So we will face those situations. Now, situations can come about when we teach about baptism by fire. It could come, situations, that's the questions can come, the devil can put things in your way or you can put yourself in a situation. But when you've prayed and you know that you didn't lock in, this one is not about you. You know that this is God. At that point, I switched to praying for grace. Because you cannot shorten the test. If you try to shorten it, you will take yourself back to the beginning and start the test again. Israel, God said of Israel, I put them in that wilderness to test them and see what's in their hearts. He said, I took them on this. This journey should take 11 days. But when they see war, they will be afraid. But then they still have to fight. So this was a test of their hearts, whether they will trust him. Because they didn't follow that, they, they took 40 years. All of them, God waited for all of them to die before they entered. So when you try to circumvent the dealings of God, you're wasting your time. You're only extending. So when I find it's not something I did that put me in this situation, I just start praying for grace. Lord, give me grace. Give me clarity to understand what the test is that I might pass. You will pass faster. But pass through, you must. You can't circumvent those things. And we have a, a generation of Nambi-Pambi Christians who just want it easy. Ease is not in the book. You go through because that going through, you know, you know the story of a, bi, a butterfly, a metamorphosis of a butterfly. It must go through that stricture in the cocoon to come out because that's what makes the wings the way they are. If it doesn't, it comes out and dies. It can't fly. 
There's a reason for certain things. And so, we need to pray for grace through the things we will see. In Matthew 7, 24, 25, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The scripture we read earlier, Second Timothy, verse five in four says, verse five says, "As for you, be calm." I'm reading the Amplified, and cool, and steady, accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fully perform all the duties of your ministry. That really tells me there will be trials. He says, unflinchingly means, you know how all those, uh, did you see those videos of North Korea when they were doing their celebration? And then some guys were breaking rocks and doing things. They were breaking rocks on their body. And unflinching means you shouldn't move. <laughs> ah, you break rock on my chest and I shouldn't shout. Brethren, what I brought this morning is a charge. Because what is ahead of us? It says in the end times, we are in perilous times. It says men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. They'll be so enamored about themselves and everything around them. And they will be shifted by every slight of doctrine. Any small thing happens. Nobody wants suffering. Everybody just wants the easy way out. Social media is good and is bad because the picture you see on social media is a contrived picture. Too many people who come out looking good commit suicide and you are trying to reconcile. How? A lot of it is just picture photoshopped. Life is hard, it's tough, but it's easy. In God. As we go into the word conference, which is very apt and timely, the season we're in is one where God is reconfiguring, recalibrating, realigning. The word re means doing it again. That means there was a pattern that was broken and is being brought. So all the rewards, this is the season. I need you guys with mighty one. Felt God say today, as they worship, reflect on those words. Put your heart. Because he's going to begin to reshape things. He's going to break things. Sometimes you need to break to build. God said to Jeremiah, I've put my word in your mouth to root up, to tear down, then to build and plant. There needs to be a breaking of certain things in you for him to emplace what he wants. Because what you have in you can't carry him. The season we're in is a time of 
foundation building. A lot of it you won't see or know. But there are impartations God does. This is that season I know where he's working on things in you. You will find yourself just straying away from the things you held dear. Addictions, attitudes. I dare say there are some attitudes that you've been trying to break for a while. In this season, you'll see them just effortlessly go without you even focusing on them if you open yourself. As a minister this song, just close your eyes and press in. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 